All healthcare professionals participating in this podcast are paid consultants for Avellino. This special edition episode of CRST the Podcast has been developed and sponsored by Genetics and iCare Today. Hello and welcome to the Genetics and Eye Care Today podcast. I'm Dr. David Kading and I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Elise Kramer, to talk with you about the value of using Avigen, the genetic eye test, as part of myopia management. Uh, I'm excited to have Elise with us. She is uh, an eye care practitioner who uh, heads up the Miami Contact Lens Institute. She's very well known in the area of keratoconus and being a scleral lens genius. Uh, she also uh, is, is very well known for her custom designs, and she does a lot in the space of myopia management. As I said, my name is Dave Kading. I practice in Seattle, Washington. I have three practices here. I also have two podcasts, one called The Myopia Podcast and the other called The Optometric Insights Show. And with, uh, with this podcast that we're doing today, we're going to be discussing uh, what we both think is a valuable aspect of our myopia management practice, and that's the use of Avigen, the genetic eye test. And it tells us the risks of developing keratoconus, informing us about our myopic patients and if they do have those early risks and early signs for keratoconus. But before I get started, I want to urge you all to check out the Genetics and Eye Care Today's website, which is at www.geneticsandicare.com. And you can check out articles and podcasts and other resources at this site. And uh, what I was hoping to do today is uh, have Dr. Kramer share with us, just as we get started here, a little bit about the Avigen test and uh, what it does, and uh, then we'll dig into some cases. So, uh, Dr. Kramer, it's good to have you. Thank you for uh, being on this podcast with me. It's always fun to be on a podcast with you, Dave, and I'm really excited to be here. So thank you uh, to Genetics and Eye Care for having me and um as I mentioned, really excited. So the Avigen test is the first personalized genetic test, um, eye test that uses next generation sequencing to detect variants across 75 genes and creates a polygenic risk score or PRS to identify patients who are at high risk, high genetic risk of keratoconus. So basically you collect a sample with a simple cheek swab and then you send it to Avellino for processing. And within two weeks, the results are posted to a HIPAA-compliant web portal that you can check and you can download the results and share them with your patients. Yeah. And along with this polygenic risk score, or PRS, um, this, it's categorized as low, moderate, or high. And the Avigen test uh, also provides a definitive yes or no diagnosis of other specific uh, corneal dystrophies. And those are based on monogenic data from the TGFBI gene. And they include things like granular dystrophies, granular type 1 and 2 or Avellino, and the lattice dystrophies like lattice types 1 and 3A, as well as something I think we all see very commonly, epithelial basement membrane issues, Reese Buckler and 
other dystrophies. And what this is, is it makes it a really valuable diagnostic and decision-making tool, which then helps us protect and enhance patients' uh, vision um, and helps us understand a little bit more about those corneal dystrophies that they may have. And there's also genetic counselors that are available for patients. And this counseling assists patients and doctors so that they can better understand the test results. And those are available as well through Avelino. Um, and basically, these, these genetic counselors will discuss like the genetic condition, treatment options, and also they can deal with emotional concerns and suggest other healthcare providers or advocacy and support groups um, if, if the patients are interested. Yeah. And I know both uh, you, Dr. Kramer, and, and myself, we've been using uh, Avigen for a while in Avellino. And as a result of that, just want to disclose to, to everyone that we have now become paid consultants and speakers for Avellino uh, because of how we're using it in our practice and in our interest in sharing that with others. This special edition episode of CRST the podcast has been developed and sponsored by Genetics and iCare Today. All healthcare professionals participating in this podcast are paid consultants for Avellino. So Elise, I know both uh, both of us have used Azgen for quite a while, and uh, and early on, I started thinking about it for myopia management because of some cases that I saw, some topographies, and so forth. Um, when you think about the challenges and considerations of myopia management, explain a little bit of uh, uh, some patient cases or some ways that you've illustrated how you've used Avagen in your own myopia management practice. Right. So I had kind of an aha moment with Avellino because, I, you know, I have a high referral based practice. A lot of patients that come to me already have keratoconus. So I was wondering how I could use this test. And then I had an aha moment when I realized that my, I do, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I do a lot of myopia management and myopia can also be caused by keratoconus, but keratoconus appears later on um, after myopia appears. And so that's where this test fits in perfectly. Because, for example, I had um, this one patient the other day who's five years old and, um, you know, young boy and no history of keratoconus in the family, no history of eye rubbing, but no myopia per se, but he had astigmatism, right? So that's also something that I would want to try to manage with an intervention um, if it is, you know, regular astigmatism. Um, and so I was thinking of putting him on atropine. Uh, treatment. But before doing that, I also wanted to do a genetic test to see if he has a risk or what is the risk of developing keratoconus. And the reason I want to do that is because atropine and other treatments to that slow down myopia are not going to slow down keratoconus. And so we know that keratoconus appears later than myopia, as I mentioned earlier. So keratoconus starts around 7 to 12 years old. We can start seeing topographical changes. And as I mentioned, this child is five. And so how do I know what the risk is? How closely should I monitor this patient? Um, and so that's where the genetic test came in. And I did an, uh, an Avagen test on this patient, which came back moderate. So it, you know, it doesn't tell me, yes, this patient is going to have keratoconus. No, 
he won't, but at least I know how closely I should monitor this patient. And this is definitely a patient that I will start on atropine, but that I would like to follow a little bit more closely and maybe repeat a topography every year versus on a normal child that I'm not worried about. I might repeat it every two or three years or so. So that's, that's where it comes in for me. Yeah. Well, you know, similar sort of introduction into this with, with my, my practice, um, initially somebody brought up to me that maybe we should consider Avigen for myopia. And it was, it was somebody at Avellino and I, I kind of thought, well, what a, what a great sales tactic. You're trying to tell me to use this on my myopia management patients. And, um, and likewise, we had kind of been using this in our keratoconus referral practice and, you know, telling parents, hey, you know, if you've got kids, would you like to know whether they're high risk and so forth? Um, but then I had a, a patient and I looked at their topography prior to do orthokeratology in our myopia management practice. And that topography just looked a little funky to me. It didn't look keratoconic but it didn't look like a perfect hourglass. And the patient had a low amount of cylinder, like a, a, a diopter, but um, you know, a diopter at six, seven years old and, and here this l funky looking topography. And I just said, you know, before I do ortho K on this kid, I think I should probably just run this genetic test. And it came back at a high risk. And so it was one of those cases where it was like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do orthokeratology because if we do orthokeratology, we won't be able to track the topography and how it's changing over time. And so in that case, with this particular patient, they had a diopter, a cylinder. We were able to get them to still see well with uh, a soft multifocal. And, uh, and also because they had been progressing quite a bit in the last year, uh, we added atropine in as well with that patient. And it uh, just kind of really brings things to a little bit to light when you see this and you're like, oh my, uh, how, how are we going to, uh, how are we going to intervene for these people when they're at high risk? Uh, let, let me bring that back up to you. Um, you've explained how you've used it and so forth, but how do you discuss those test results, that low, moderate, high, and then how, how might you alter your myopia management treatments based on low, moderate, and high? Yeah, I, I think your case is excellent, and it's exactly what I use Avigen for in my practice. Um, and I think when we are you know, diagnosing myopia, we have to make sure that myopia is primary and not caused by something else. And so how do I discuss this is basically if it's low, then I feel relieved because then I can use a treatment that may mask the corneal topography that may change the corneal shape like orthokeratology. Whereas like you did in that case, if it's a high risk, I might not do orthokeratology because I'd want to follow the topography or I would do orthokeratology, but definitely wash out uh, at least annually, uh, and which is a little bit annoying for the patient. So they and I may decide to choose a, a, a different treatment at that point. And then if it's moderate risk, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, we discuss it, we talk about it. Um, 
there's obviously, I think if you have a moderate to high risk, it would incline me to do something a little bit less on the orthokeratology side and probably aim um, to do something with atropine or, or a center distance multifocal soft lens. Um, but I like to discuss these things with patients and see, you know, how they feel about it as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, if I see somebody who, uh, you know, has just piqued my interest a little bit with their topography and uh, it just looks a little funny and then I do uh, uh, an Avagen test and it comes up high, I'm probably not going to do orthokeratology. If it comes up low, I'll probably do orthokeratology, but I'll probably wash them out of their orthok lenses about every three years. And if it comes up as a moderate, it's probably more likely that I'm going to be watching their refraction, watching their topography. And I'm, am I getting the outcome from the topography that I would expect? Or is it an outcome that is abnormal? And if it is abnormal, then I'll wash them out at one year. But if everything's going the way I would expect it to with orthokeratology for that moderate patient, I may let them go for two years, but then do a washout. Whereas I may not wash somebody out from orthokeratology. And, you know, just for people who, who don't do orthokeratology, a washout is where you have them stop wearing their lenses and go back to their baseline prescription, baseline topography, and then do a, a map and, and then you can compare it to their prior map and see if they have progressed into a care, more keratoconic looking appearance. And that's kind of how I think we would gauge that is that, but there may be some moderate patients who've got really funky looking topographies and you may hold back on those, right? So it's a little bit of that I think what you're saying is actually key about the topography. So it's not just the test, but also how you match that with the topography. Because if you're getting a perfect topography, but they're moderate, then you may feel more comfortable than if the topography is off and they're moderate. And so I think it's a combination of the tests that you're doing. And I don't have a Pentacam in my office, but I do send my patients out that I'm more, you know, suspicious that they may develop keratoconus. I do send them out for a Pentacam as well to see, you know, what their posterior cornea looks like. Um, and that helps as well. Yeah. So what about, um, what about this concern about genetics, right? You know, uh, you know, do you have patients who are like, you know, I'm not interested in knowing genetics and how that fits in with me. And they're a little opposed to that. How do you have those discussions about this test and how do you present it to people in the myopia management world? Well, because myopia management is something that is, you know, costly for a patient. I, a lot of the time, I think that before I, I talk to them about it, and I want them to, to do this test before they jump into this financial commitment. Um, because if we do see that they have, you know, a high risk of keratoconus and, and they are having a topography that is a little bit off, then before we jump into an intervention that may cost a lot for them. I think it's important. And so a lot of them, that's the way I kind of say, it, you know, before we do this whole intervention, which I, I think would be great if it is myopia, but I do want to make sure that this is not something else. And so that's really how I talk to them about it. 
Um, some people don't find it relevant. Some people don't understand what it has to do with eye care, but I think that's where we come in and, and education is everything explaining, um, why this test is important, why we feel like it's necessary or an important clinical guideline for us when we're implementing myopia management. Genetics were something I wasn't really excited about in optometry school and uh, just wasn't really interested. And I think the reason why is because with a lot of genetic tests, there's nothing you can do about it, right? You know, and for some people, they don't want to know if they have a risk factor for certain things. And I think that the, the reason why Avigen fits in in a unique way, particularly for the keratoconus measures, is if a patient does have a moderate or high risk, will and we can see that they're moving in the direction towards keratoconus or they're progressing in a keratoconic eye, we have an intervention. Without that intervention, well, what good would it have done, right? But with the intervention of corneal crosslinking entering in, we may be detecting so many more keratoconus patients early on because we're doing myopia management and we're watching them vigilantly that we would be able to stop the progression of that keratoconus for these children and really save their vision, right? We all see the advanced keratoconic patients that we have. What if we could take all of them and, you know, reduce it back to where it was when they were six, seven, eight years old? Uh, it would substantially change their lives comparatively to, to olders, older patients. Now, one other question I wanted to ask you, Dr. Kramer, is about when a patient does come in and you find that they are moderate or high, do, do you automatically have people who are like, hey, I want to get my other te kids tested? Or do you suggest that? How do you bring that up and have that discussion? Yeah. So if I have a child that comes in and is testing uh, with moderate to high risk of developing keratoconus, then I absolutely recommend to test the other children. Um, I recommend we get topography as well and a full eye exam on all the kids that come in that are related to this child that uh, tested or came received a result as moderate to high risk. Um, what about you? How do you go about that in your practice? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. Whether it's um, whether it's the the parent and they test positive, or that they already have keratoconus, having that conversation about what to do for the kids, but also anybody who tests on the high end for sure, moderate. I think more and more having that discussion of hey, you know, I, I would encourage us to get this checked for for the other kids in the family, and uh, some of them want to wait, right? Some of them want to wait for their six year old to become eight or nine or ten, and you know we'll. We'll talk here in a little bit about some barriers with with costs and so forth, but encouraging it, right? And then the other thing is to bring up is, is there anybody else in the family who is a kid who has a prescription or even cousins, right? Is is uh, your niece or nephew, are, are they struggling with their vision? And you, know, you might coin up that conversation of, oh, absolutely, you know, so-and-so in the family has been struggling to get good glasses that have been working for them, right? Or he's struggling to get his eyes to see and they've struggled to have contact lenses. Maybe he's a teenager, but just bringing it up, like anybody else in the family that you know of that is struggling with their vision, or do you think there's anybody else 
who it would be worth us testing this, because if we do, we may be able to stop or slow the progression. I think that's a really key component for us to bring up to our patients as well. And another thing that I recommend if they come back moderate to high is to definitely discontinue eye rubbing. Um, if that is an issue or if they do, the parents report that their their kids have been rubbing their eyes, they come back moderate to high. Um, that's definitely something that I have them pay attention to as well. This special edition episode of CRST the podcast has been developed and sponsored by Genetics and Eye Care Today. All healthcare professionals participating in this podcast are paid consultants for Avellino. Welcome back. I'm Dave Kading, and I'm chatting with my friend, uh, Dr. Elise Kramer, and we're talking about the importance of Avagen's genetic testing and myopia management. Both Dr. Kramer and I are paid consultants and speakers for Avellino. And Dr. Kramer, you were sharing with us uh, a, a bit about how you've put this into your practice. But, you know, let's back up for a second. Does anytime we incorporate new technologies or new things into our practice, it always causes a little bit of disruption. So share with us a little bit about how you first brought this in, what have been some barriers and some struggles, and then, you know, what, have, what would you do different if you were to start it all over again? You know, the World Council of Optometry uh, published something about how myopia management is standard of care. And so using that principle and talking about how the Avagen test fits in so nicely into that myopia management consultation and how important it might be in certain cases um, really makes it standard of care for me in my practice. And that's how I've incorporated it with my staff. And in my um, mentality, in my, the way I practice um, clinically. So when I see a patient, um, one of the biggest, I think, barriers with everything is cost, right? And so when we talk about a, a test that's going to be an additional cost to the patient, um, it is. It does require a conversation, and that's the education piece I was talking about. How important it is for the patient to understand why this is important, why we're recommending it, and what's good about this and the way it's it's worked really well for me is that Avellino charges the patient directly. So I am doing the swabbing in the office. I'm providing all the information to the patient. Um, and then I send it, and re they receive the results, um, then they pay. And I just feel like it's a very smooth process that way. Um, and things I would do differently is maybe just making it a little bit more part of the myopia management consultation rather than something completely separate. So it would tie in a little bit better, but I haven't figured out quite how to do that yet. What about you? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the great things about this is that our genetics don't really change, right? So it's a huge investment. Uh, it's a good investment for for patients because they get that information that's going to affect them for the rest of their life. And then there is intervention if things start to go uh, start to go south in some ways. And uh, you know, I don't know that that cost is always as much of a, it much as we think it is for a patient. It seems like those costs may be more of a barrier for the practitioner who's 
trying to bring something up. And I think um, once I got the value and I understood the value of the test, and then I could share that with my patient, it was easier for me to present it um, than, you know, just initially. And when you are talking about myopia management, like you mentioned, that's a huge investment. And so if you see something that you're suspicious about, uh, you know, you're going to move forward with, uh, with, with alleviating those suspicions, just kind of like we do with our, our dry eye patients who are going for cataract surgery, right? We're going to incorporate some sort of dry eye treatment that costs more so that their outcome is better on something that's a, a big deal. And likewise with this is if we can do something ahead of time to make us more successful or know that we're more successful in myopia management, it certainly is uh, a worthwhile in investment. The cost of the laboratory is something the patient can pay for. So I think that's the biggest area of entry is that perception that the practitioner has around the cost. Yeah, you're right. It is a short-term inconvenience and long-term benefit uh, type of situation. And I think that it is a great investment. And I think patients are more apprehensive about recurring costs rather than something they only have to pay once. And this is actually something they will only have to do one time. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point is that that investment for a single thing and compared to recurring things is, is a really good perspective. Well, um, I, I, I learned some things from you on how you're doing things in your office. I, I, I love talking with you about your keratoconus practice as well as your myopia management. Never did I think the two would mix, right? I, I do both of those specialties. I'd like to thank you very much for listening in. I hope that uh, both Dr. Kramer and I have uh, helped uh, bring some clarity for how we've used genetic testing and the Avigen test in our myopia management practice, and hopefully it could be valuable to you as well. Uh, make sure to subscribe in on your podcast app. And for now, I'm David Kading. And I'm Elise Kramer. Thank you. And look out for the next Genetics and Eye Care Today podcast.